Hello and welcome to another edition of the Copcast podcast. Um, we're coming to you after Everton beat Liverpool in the Merseyside Derby at Anfield uh, for the first time this century. Um, Liverpool time could, 22 years. 22 years. It's um, This team continue to break records this season. Um, unfortunately, they're all kinds of unwanted records. It's it's four home defeats in a row for the first time in almost 100 years. And things just seem to go from bad to worse um, on the domestic front for the Reds. So uh, to, I don't know, to talk about it or to lament. Maybe a little bit, but just yeah. to generally cry. Yeah, just to, yeah, just, just to try and deal or cope. Um, I've got Neil Patterson of Berlin, Chief. You're resorted to drink at the minute to try and model your I way through this have. period. I certainly have. And I can recommend it to, to everyone who, who doesn't have anything against it for any kind of spiritual or religious reasons or, or health reasons. Um, and, of course, you're over 18. Stay safe, kids. Um, <laughs> but uh, what else are you going to do at this point, really? So, uh, yeah, looking forward to this. Should be, uh, in some way, good crack. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll do a very, very best. Uh, I've also got uh, Andy Bell in Liverpool. Andy, how, how are you managing to, to manage your, your health, mental health and well-being, let's call it, during this rather difficult period? Yeah, for some reason, I picked the absolute worst time to go off the drink for a bit. So I haven't actually had a drink in 2021 yet. Um, Trying to, trying to do a bit of running and stuff. So, Round of um, please. Yeah, yes. no. <laughs> the small victories in it. But yeah, um, thanks for having me. Can't wait to say exactly what I said after Burnley, after Brighton, and after Man City. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's so, Andy, it's fair. But, you know, watching that game, I almost think that this, this was a new low for the team. Um, the. The goal is just absolutely out of nowhere. It's just kind of a loose ball which drops at Hamez's feet. He feeds it in between the centre halves and Richarlison is in and it's a fairly easy finish. It's just it's just so easy. And as as it happens, and as has been happening, we just don't recover. And you know, we've watched collapses like City and 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 um we've seen the Burnley game. Um, the the West Brom game, but but actually, it's been a while since we conceded an early goal, and to watch to watch that response for eighty seven plus minutes was pretty painful. I don't think anyone thought we were going to score after that goal. I certainly didn't. Um, certainly not the way we were playing. Yet again, we create a couple of chances. Um, you know, Henderson has a, a superb volley, which is a really good save by Pickford. Who, if we're being honest, actually had a really good game. There were, you know, the odd time Manny's got to the byline and whipped the dangerous ball in. Like it's in all these games we haven't scored at home. You, you know, we probably deserve to get at least one. Uh, we'll probably have done enough to get at least one. But such is our luck at the moment. You just never think it's going to come from the from the first whistle. Uh, obviously, it's not Quebec's best day. I don't want to hammer him because Jimmy Carragher and Martin Tyler and all them Sky people have done that enough. But you know. First ball, um, he doesn't really deal with, and that kind of sets the tone for him. Uh, he's caught flat-footed, I think, for for Charleston's goal, and and after that, it's uh, 
it's you know from there it's it's difficult. I mean, they, you see their team and they set up three five two. I don't know if they've. I haven't actually watched that much Premier League football this season, aside from Liverpool. It's it's just not the same as I think we've talked about many times. But I saw the three five two. I don't know if they've been playing that, but you look at it and you think, yeah, Carlo's going to come and and uh, and try to park the not necessarily park the boss, but he'll have them really well organised. You can see they were up to something, and and that's kind of how it played out. And you know, they're a very well drilled side. Uh, you can see that they've got a top manager finally. Um, and he, he came and he made it really awkward for us. They closed the space well. They made the game really small when we were in possession um, and, and preyed on mistakes, which is what teams have done all season for us, especially at home. It used to be that uh, the teams would park the bus, but mentally it would grind them down because it just kept coming back. Virgil and Gomez would keep winning the ball and it would just be wave after wave, whereas now you've got the incentive. If you just sit in, then then you know you're going to get something. So it keeps you kind of mentally fresh and, and keeps you motivated to, to defend well. And it's a problem where or I, th- I think we've seen that game before, as I said, in the first bit. And I think we're going to see it a fair bit from now until the end of the season. And we just have to, you know, pick up the requisite points to get us in a top four battle. Top four teams, they drop points all the time. Uh, they'll lose games, they'll draw games. All these teams above us, none of them are going to do a Man City and win every game. You know, this is very much retrievable. Um, but as, as, as I say, I can see that game happening um, in a couple of weeks' time against whoever it may be, especially at home. Uh, and the worst thing for it is we have had a couple of good displays in between Tottenham, West Ham and Leipzig. We thought that was a corner turned uh, and it hasn't been. So I can see that the rest of the season being fairly um, fairly disappointing and, and petering out, to be honest. Yeah, Chief, there just doesn't really seem to be an, an end in, in sight at the moment. And you know, we make a few chances, as Andy says. You know, I think Salah has one that, that Pickford makes a good save. save. There's, there's the there's the Henderson chance. And I saw, and I could be wrong, and you might disagree, but I'd be interested in your thoughts. I, I think we talked about this a while ago. Um, players trying to force it. Like Henderson did before he went off. Probably a good five minutes where he's just running around in midfield. Just went, I'm not meant to have half the next five minutes. I'm going to run around midfield and I'm going to try and force the issue and make something happen. Mane seemed so intent on trying to force the issue that he kept falling over the ball and tripping over himself, trying to do everything himself. And there just seems to be a total lack of cohesion in this side. And I think that for me really is the key issue because this team has been, you know, talked up and up and up as the best team that probably the Premier League has potentially ever seen. You know, we don't necessarily have David Silva's or, you know, um, Kevin De Bruyne's or, or, or players like this or Bruno Fernandez's if you want, but this is an, an, a machine, a machine with a number of physical working parts that all fit together and become this unbeatable fucking juggernaut. And what we have at the moment is just these people, these malfunctions all over the park. And we just don't seem to be able to put any more than probably, I think probably about 60, 70 minutes is the most we've put together of a decent performance within a game this season but there certainly hasn't been a 90 minute performance since the turn of the year uh, well 
I mean, I think in the Premier League, you're absolutely right. But I think, to be fair, we put in a 90-minute performance in Budapest the other night against Leipzig. Um, but I agree with what you're saying, but I think it's, you know, without wanting to go back to it, it's, it's, it's all about the injuries. The, the team ethic, as you talk about the machine, you're absolutely right. But it doesn't mean to say we don't have great individuals within that team. The thing is, the individuals have been moulded to curb those instincts, to play within the team uh, ethic and, 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 and combinations and, and all the rest of it. So it's hard then when they try, when, when that when that machine breaks down because it doesn't have its core components, its vital cogs, if you want to stick with the analogy, then when the when when those players with the individual brilliance try to step out and, and recreate it, it's no surprise that perhaps it's not quite there. You can't quite find it, or it doesn't quite click. At the same time, it's no surprise that the team doesn't quite function when when the, the core components aren't there. So it's just one of them, you know. You just it's 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 harsh that we lost to Everton. It's shite that we lost to Everton. It's annoying that we lost to Everton. It's it's angering that that we lost to Everton almost. But you know we we haven't lost to them as as has been mentioned in in twenty two years, and it was going to happen at some point this century. You know. It was highly unlikely we were going to go a hundred years without beating, without without getting beat. So it's happened at Anfield. It's happened once, and it's happened when nobody was there, and it's happened when nobody can really celebrate it. So you know, if a tree falls in the forest and there's no one there to hear it, that does it really fall and and all that doesn't make a noise. Um, so I would say that it's one of them. In the wider context of us in the Premier League this season, I just think we're gone. I just think we won't have a chance of of regaining any semblance of, of ourselves until our lads are back. I think it's gotten to that point, and I, I think we could have salvaged it before it got here, but that would have been six weeks ago. Not now. I think now we're we're just we're just playing a waiting game to the end of the season and, and trying to salvage as best we can. But if I were a bet I am a betting man. And although I had money on Liverpool to win the league this season, I thought it was a fairly safe bet about eight weeks ago. At this point, I would not put money on them finishing the top four. So um, my eggs are in the Champions League basket at this point. And I'm I'm happy enough to say that I'm not, I'm not going to be tearing strips off anyone. What's happened to them this season is ridiculous. And what they've done over the last two and a half seasons is also monumental. And the same thing happened to City last season. So, and look where they are now. So, you know, it is what it is. It was a shit day. And I hope there aren't too many more, but I wouldn't bank on it given the the situation we find ourselves in. Yeah. um, Ali takes right to mention the injuries there. You know, I know it gets boring. Um, talking about it all the time, but you can't get away from the fact um, 
That's the 18th centre-half partnership of the season. That's absurd. That's absolutely absurd. Phillips comes on. I think when Henderson goes off, I think we all know kind of, I think deep down we all know the game's up when Henderson goes off. If we didn't already know before then. Yeah. Um, and Phillips comes on. Do you know what? I think Phillips actually does okay. And the concerning thing for me is, and I know he's 20, and I know it's only his second game in the Premier League. I know the conditions were difficult. But Kabak's had two really challenging starts to life in the Premier League. Um, it does okay against Leipzig. But Phillips actually looks the better centre-half when he comes on. And that has got to be... That's got to be a concern moving forward, especially now that Henderson is going to be sidelined for, you know, we're, we're guesstimating probably a minimum of four weeks or so. God knows how many games that's going to be in, in this climate. 15, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it, the most sort of concerning thing about it is the fact that Phillips does come on and not Davies. It's almost as if we signed Davies. Literally, just we never, ever, 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 ever have to see Reese Williams' face again. And that sounds harsh, but that seems to be the thinking behind it. Um, yeah, I agree with you on Quebec. I give kind of give him a free pass after Leicester because I think in most in most areas he did okay. I didn't think the goal was his fault. Yeah, Jamie Vardy got in a couple of times and 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 played off him, but that's going to happen. Jamie Vardy's one of the best players ever to play in the Premier League. So I thought, you know what, he plays really well in Leipzig as well, as you say. Um, and then yeah. Yeah, Sunday nights or Saturday nights just just a bit of a disaster. And with the injuries, it's just like you know there is an ex- I, the thing that's annoying me the most about it is like people saying it's to do a Klopp's kind of style, the intensity, and but it's 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 almost outrageous because even players like Keita, like Matip, who we know we can't rely on, they, even they like. They've the deviation from when the amount of a season they normally spend out is way to the extreme as well. Never mind Virgil, never mind Gomez, never mind uh, Fabinho Henderson. All these players have been out too, so it's just it's just preposterous. And I think I've said this in this podcast before. I think if we do get top four or do something in the Champions League, we will look back on this season in five years' time and think, goodness me, how on earth did we do anything from this season? Um, it's that it's that wild, and you know you're talking sixth, seventh, eighth choice centre halves here that are getting games regularly. Um, if if you'd have asked me at the start of the season, is not Phillips still at the club? I wouldn't have been able to confidently give you an answer. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been able to tell you who Reese Williams was. Um, and that's that's kind of the level we're at with it all. And I just think because either you know the two of them are a little bit uncomfortable in possession or. They're not quite as brave and stepping up as far. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but it felt on Saturday that, you know, there's a point in the first half where Manny does something absolutely amazing, where he, like, takes it past two, nutmegs another, gets around the other side. And, like, it was a, like it was an unbelievable bit of play. But he looked up and he still had four people in front of him. He still had four defenders to get past. And it's like, what on earth must we have to do to create a proper opening you know it didn't feel like it was this hard before this so i don't know what it is what it is whether it's the system whether it is the center halves and i'm sure it's a lot of the same but you look at it now and you just you're praying that that jota comes back in and freshens up the front three because i think they badly need a freshening up uh, and possibly even in the summer as well whether that means one going and uh mbappe coming in or whoever it might be people think that's pie in the sky i personally think it might happen but or you know nabi Keita can come in and give us a bit more intensity midfield. that's what we're relying on right now and we've got Sheffield United on Sunday away. That's not going to be easy. 
especially because how much Chris Wilder hates Klopp, because Klopp's basically called him out in every interview since October. Um, then with Chelsea at home on the Thursday night, and I think if you lose that, you can basically say goodbye to top four, because we've lost to Leicester, there are no nine points ahead. West Ham are five ahead. Man United are nine ahead. Again, I don't think any of these sides are better than us, but with 13 games to go, especially the way we're playing, are we realistically going to catch up with them? I'm not overly confident of it. So I think Chelsea are the one. They are the team. I don't know Leicester kind of bottled it last year, but Chelsea are the team that we have to catch up with. They're three points ahead of us now. You know, they dropped points at the weekend, which you know really should have been taken advantage of. But you look at that and you think, if we go six points behind them, 14 games to go, and still, I think, to play Arsenal away and a couple of other games, then you can say goodbye to it and you're going to have to win the Champions League to get into the to get into the Champions League next season, which is just, uh, it's like 0405, but I just can't see us winning the Champions League. So um, I can't remember what your question was now about the injuries, but it's 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 just so hard to get excited for the, the next couple of weeks. And you'd think Sheffield and Fulham, you think that'll be six points, but I, I have no idea how many points we're going to get from the next three. I fear it could be two or three. Yeah, the- Form form is a big thing, Chief, in football. And to say we have no form is really understating the issue. Um, but to, just to move away from the team for a minute, I was interested in Klopp's pre-match statement um, where he mentioned Ancelotti's poker face. Um, and I'm just wondering... Does does clock get done by Ancelotti tactically here? Yep, 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 yep. Without even going any further, I actually mentioned meant to bring it up earlier, but because I've had a few to drink, I forgot about it. You're referring to Klopp's pre-match pre-match talk where he 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 thinks that Alan's going to be playing and he thinks that Cavalier's going to be playing. And he references them both, and Des Kelly tells him nah, nah. And um, Ancelotti's basically shifted Klopp a little bit. I think, I think, I think you're right. Yes, I don't think Klopp was expecting the team that was played. I don't think he was expecting the formation that was played, and I don't think he was prepared for it. And I think he said as much. He said, "Oh well, we're gonna have to work it out during the game then." Yeah, the thing is, see, this 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 side, first and foremost, it's difficult for Klopp to be tactically flexible, given the limitations he's got to work with, with regards to personnel, literally players that he can put on the pitch, you know. So he's hamstrung that way from the start. But the other thing about this team that used to be so good was, and, and I think you probably said it more than anybody, is we used to find they a way to... We used to find a way in games, and this team, it's, and I think this is, I think for me, this is a real key difference between Klopp and, and Guardiola is Guardiola's team are so mechanical. Um, they will do things a specific way, and it will always have to be that way, and it'll be, have to be done to the inch. Whereas Klopp relies on giving his players autonomy to make decisions on the pitch, to not be too restricted in what they do and to, in his own words, kind of be cheeky and find solutions. And we just do not seem capable of doing that at the minute. We're knackered. We're, not, we're done. It's not it, it happening. D- but that's we, it. It, we just, can, it looks like we're done. It doesn't we, look we like can, it's going to be we can, 
we can talk this to death, but it's we're done until we get our lads back and there's a re re-energizing, if that's even a word, you know. But you can't even exactly put your finger on it. But you know, it's a combination of two and a half seasons at absolute maximum level, which nobody can argue with, which have yielded a Champions League final. A Champions League win, a Champions League quarter final, um, a Premier League win, a Premier League runners up spot with the highest ever Premier League runners up total, and being top of the Premier League the week before Christmas in the in the third season, and it's just all fallen apart for the combination of reasons we've we've mentioned, the massive stress. Put on the club by put on the on the score by injuries, coupled with the intensity and, and performance levels that have come in the last two and a half years, coupled with a lack of well the loss of fans in the stadium, no atmosphere, and the general hunger drop which normally follows a period of sustained success. So you roll all those factors into one, uh, which we've been hit with this season, and we've just we've just dropped off. And I, I'm not going to sit here and 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 either dig at the players or 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 sort of say that it's suddenly going to turn around next week because I don't know if it is going to, because they're obviously now from having performed as a whole greater than the sum of their parts, they're now clearly performing well below the sum of their parts. And I just, I, it's just one of those things where I, I think European competition is a saviour. I think, you know, all you've got, to, all you can say is just go again next game in the league and, and hope, you know, and keep playing and, 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 and try and play your way out of it. But there are no other options. There are no other players he can bring in. There's no rotation that can be done. Everyone's been absolutely stretched to the limit. And until players come back wholesale, there's, there's, I don't see it changing. It's was Europe's different because you can, you can build yourself up for one-off games, two-legged matches, yes, but they're, you know, they're, they're showpiece matches. You know, you can book the time in your calendar. You can mark them off. And those teams want to beat you because they are showpiece games. You know, they want to come. They don't want to sit in and defend and play like West Brom or play like um, half the teams in the league. Even Everton sat in. Like, yeah, they hit a sweep, but they didn't have a shot after Richarlison's goal for how long? You know, it was all us. We dominated the game. And actually, for periods, we did start to turn the screw and we did dominate and we did actually create chances. We just didn't take any of them. Any of them. You take one, you probably go on and win that game. Because if Everton could see, they probably collapsed. But we couldn't take any. Mane misses two good headed chances. Salah misses a great chance late in the, or midway through the second half. And there are other chances as well. Bobby has a clear shot, which he doesn't take. And then he ends up scuffing it against the defender and goes out for a corner. A sharper Liverpool a sharper forward three scores a goal and then who knows but we didn't and therefore I don't know when this is going to change and what's going to change it but you're right when you say form and momentum is important 
But the interesting thing about them both is they can change at the drop of a hat. We're both betting, lads. And, you know, we follow trends and form. And the number of times you get fucked over where you're betting a team that's on a winning streak and they suddenly throw in a clanger, you know? Well, so, I think it can happen. I, I did back Swansea at the weekend. Um, yeah, so did I. And they yeah. got dumped 4-1 by Huddersfield. And they're who the only team that got me over in 10. You know? who, hadn't, who hadn't won in 10. Yeah. You know, so I, I, I get what you're saying. Um, Andy, there's... I was... I was um, Texting Johnny Henderson there this morning br- briefly, and he has a concern that the problems have become that deep rooted now, like psychologically. That are we are we even going to be the same team when we get these guys back? Because we can talk about centre halves and a morale boost, but you know to go from here. To doing what a we used to be doing up until six weeks ago, certainly last season and the season before, and b to what Man City are currently doing. That's a big, big shift. Yeah, and the the main worry for me is we're only ever one virtual injury away from this. And um, you know, Van Dyke, we know he didn't miss a game for what three years when he signed for us. Um, and obviously the, the injury he does pick up is, is a complete freak. It's nothing to do with training. It's nothing to do with, uh, with anything else. Um, Chief, do you raise your hand? Do you want to come in? Or was that accidental? <laughs> I don't know. Um, so the thing, the thing about it is we're only ever one virtual injury away from this. You talk about the, the three, um, the three, Center halves that we we obviously let Lovren go and we don't really replace him, and you can say that is a negligence, and I think it is because you know we've signed Simicus and you look at Simicus from now until the end of the season, where does Simicus get his game? He's not going to play in the Premier League, so we have to every game in the Premier League is dead important, and it was going to be important whether we were in a race for top four or whether we're in a race against uh, Man City for the title. He's not going to play latter stages of the Champions League, so if we signed this guy to play League Cup and FA Cup and maybe a dead rubber in the Champions League because. Klopp clearly doesn't care about those competitions anyway. You know, we can throw LaRucci or whoever it is in there. I don't even know if he's still at the club. You can throw James Milder left back. We don't care about winning games in those competitions. So we've signed Simicus for games that Robertson's going to be rested for anyway. Um, Now, the counter argument to that is, you know, Lovren obviously goes and I think he wants to go. He wants to get football. You can say about replacing him, but the man to replace him in the summer probably would have been Quebec. Um, it was said that we were interested in him, and I think we were maybe trying to get something done. There were certainly links for it anyway. Um, and, you know, we haven't seen anything from Quebec so far to, to say that he's a, an appropriate fourth choice backup centre half. I'd say if Liverpool had to make a decision on whether they were signing him for the 18 million tomorrow, they probably wouldn't do it. So um, we're, all, we're only ever a virtual injury away from this. Uh, and I think. As for the front three and kind of the midfield, it is more or less the same team for the last two or three years, ever since we had that window where we brought in um, somebody else that window. I think we had another big high-profile signing. Um, but ever since that window, you know, we had the summer where we brought in Vandenberg and Elliott and then only Mina Mino. Uh, and then, of course, bring in Thiago and Jota. Thiago hasn't been fantastic and Jota's been uh, injured for the whole time. So you know, teams, for teams like us, I mean, you've, you've, you've seen it before to 
to survive, you have to keep evolving. I know it's it's a, a Charles Darwin quote, but you can apply it to every kind of business and, and football situation in, in life. This front three, are, they're 29 years old, each of them. Uh, and I think we need to do something to freshen it up, whether that's Jota. Um, we can't just fully rely on Jota because... You know, if if what ha- if what happened this season happens again, I don't know if he's particularly injury prone, then we're in the same situation. So I think you do have to freshen that up somehow, and it probably means one of the front three moving on. It probably means one of Salah or Mane moving on because I don't know how much money you're going to get from a 30 year old Bobby Firmino who hasn't been firing. So I'm just um, I'm just interested to see what happens. Uh, I think it's very dependent on whether we're in the Champions League or not. I think I read was it in the Athletic this week that it's worth 150 million to us this season, and we know how FSG work. We know how they like to balance the books, and it's probably less than that because they probably need to make up the shortfalls for the likes of the the Jota and the Thiago deals. And um, you know who knows if we're going to get m- much money for the likes of Origi, Shakiri, Harry Wilson. So if we're out of the Champions League, then you're probably looking at selling one of Salah or Mane without actually getting anyone else in, uh, and Jota is going to be starting every week. So. It's it's really crucial. Um, it's it may not feel like it right now because we're used to title challenges. And we may feel like we're we can't be bothered with fighting for the Champions League, but we really, really do need to get that. Otherwise, let's be honest, it it could go back to the days of uh, Brendan Rodgers, apart from that one season of Dalglish second time round. I'm not going to say of Hodgson, but it could go back to that. We could go back to a situation where we're finishing sixth and seventh every year if we don't get this money for the Champions League or FSG don't change your business model. So, yes, I think it is concerning to answer your question. Yeah, see, Andy touches on a, a good point. And it, I think it's all. I think it's fair to say nobody would disagree that Klopp wasn't backed in January. And if he had had his way, he would have had first, second or third choice in just done at the very start of January. So we can kick on from there. But we don't. We dilly and we dally and we scrimp and we save and we come away with a 20-year-old loney who's been playing on a side that have, I think he's probably got 30% of his Liverpool, 30% of his season's victories at Liverpool. He's played three matches and lost two of them, you know, and but some, some boy from Preston who's mm. 25 and apparently Nat Phillips on Saturday's evidence is better than. So, given obviously what Andy mentions about the Champions League, there is there a concern for you that this business model is destined to fail based on the change in economic climate? To be honest, I haven't I haven't delved that deeply into it as yet because that's all for the future. What I would say, going back to the question that I raised my hand on, on, on that you put to Andy about what Johnny said, is there a danger of of us not regaining our confidence or form once everyone's back fit and firing? No, I, I don't think there is. I think we've all seen the spirit and, and the galvanization um that Virgil brought to the side and that that just even just when Joe Maddop Joe Maddop was fit playing there, even with the Van Dyke injury, 
even when it was uh, Manip and Fabinho there, how solid we were and how good we were, and how we were still top of the league in December. So no, I, I don't think that's going to be a problem. Uh, I think it's just one of those things. In the long run, with FSG and their business model, well, I'm not, the, I'm not, I'm not the economic guy. I mean, you're the, you're the banker after all. Um, you know much more about it than I do. Banker. An yeah. actual <laughs> banker. But, um, but for me, I mean, you know, there are a lot of stories about what they did with the, with the, with the Red Sox. And about how they didn't invest a penny after they won their first World Series and how the Red Sox bombed and, and all the rest of it. And then after a couple of seasons, they came back in and absolutely smashed it, bought all the best players and, and completely nailed it and won World Series after World Series. Now, I don't know how true that is because I don't follow American sports, but that seems to be sort of what happened. Um, so whether they, I mean, from a purely layman's economic perspective, it doesn't make sense for them to allow their investment to tank. It doesn't make sense for them to let a club that was worth over two billion pre-pandemic to just falter and fall off the rails completely and, and leave them with with nothing. Um, so I would say that they will adjust their business model accordingly. Do I think that they were very slow to react and have been slow to react and left us to suffer because of that? Yes, 100%. I've said that before. We, uh, I, I was on record, I think, in October or whenever the injuries came, that 1st of January we needed a top centre back in. And I think I even said that I'd go for Koulibaly, even though I'd never been, you know, so enthused on the idea we'd, we'd ever be interested before, but now was the time to, to really step it up and make the move because I think we'd already all agreed that it seemed likely that the summer would have seen a, a, a hefty investment at centre-back anyway, you know, next summer, the one coming. So that begs the question, though, no, Chief, that begs the question that if there was going to be or if there is going to be heavy investment in that area of the pitch in the summer, why, why was that? Totally. Why was it not done in January? Why did they just 100%. not move that deal forward? Because surely, 100%. you know, you can talk about saving money, but there's there's two deals that they've done that they wouldn't have had to do. So it's three deals instead of one, if you want to look at it that way. And I know there's, we've talked about the lack of outlay, but even still. But um, yep, that's that's what I mean. I agree with you. I'm not. Uh, but why the question is? You're what, putting the question why why have they not brought it forward? I don't know. If 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 the answer the answer could be that they changed their thinking because of the pandemic, the answer could be that um, the one that they really wanted had already decided to go somewhere else, as it has been released that Uber Meccano is signed for Bayern. Um, if that were the case that we were led to believe that we were very much in for him, maybe that was the issue. Um, I don't know. I, I have no idea. But I, like you, like everybody else in the fan base, as fans, we, we were crying out for a top centre-back coming in 1st of January and therefore by now being integrated within the side and 
playing games and therefore the Reds winning games rather than limping through and, and, and looking tired and 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 decrepit. So long term, do I think FSG might need to readjust their fi- their their financial strategy because of the pandemic? Yeah, of course. Because I think any financial institution, any institution, any has to has to readjust now. So what they do, that's going to be very interesting. Where we're left post pandemic, or even next season, still in the pandemic, is uh, is anyone's guess. But that's going to be very very interesting because there's no doubt that this is completely scuppered all their long term projections. There's no there's no doubt. Okay, so look, let's let's try to look forward with a grain of optimism. And it's Sheffield United next weekend, and it's Sunday, isn't it? So yeah, Sunday seven fifteen. Can I do the ref really quickly, Dave, or if we're not? Oh, time? oh, God, sorry. Yes, yes, we need to do, do the ref. ref. Absolutely. In fact, we'll do the whole rest of the pod on the ref if you want, because you know we're going to talk about. We can talk about someone deciding like not to make any attempt to jump over an obstacle um, for as long as you want and try and understand why that's deemed an infraction by the obstacle. Yeah. Um, the thing on it is, like, it's it's unlucky for Calvert-Lewin. You see the way the ball bounces and you see him running onto it and you think, if Trent isn't there, he probably goes on to score. Okay? So it's, 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 it's a bit unfortunate. And from that perspective, you can... Can you see like a slight argument to give it? I don't think so, but maybe there is some element of subjectivity to it. Um, it's just one of those unfortunate things. You know, Trent has slid in. We've seen millions of times when players have a shot uh, and it goes over the bar, goes wider, it's saved by the keeper, and the player careers into the, the attacker afterwards. A penalty is never given for that, right? So that's when it, a, an actual tackle is made um, that cleans the opponent out, where if he just knocked it forward, you've got a penalty for it. So how on earth you can then give a penalty for an incident where Trent slides in front of Calvert-Lewin, doesn't catch him, tries to block the shot, and then like literally can't move, can't move, and Calvert-Lewin jumps over him. How that can be a penalty, I've absolutely no idea. And I saw at the first, at the first time I saw it, I thought, oh no, that's a penalty. Because I think, as you said in the pre-poll, he kind of lifts his leg up and it looks like he's, he's caught him deliberately. And actually, my initial instinct was that's a red card. So I can understand why he originally gives it. But then the thing everyone's talking about is the fact that he's, he's, he, he, he's gone over to the monitor. And I don't think he's actually seen a full replay of it. If at best he's seen one. At best, he's seen one replay of that because it was two seconds. He just shakes his head and points to the spot. So I don't understand the psychology of these referees who, if your mate, your mate up in the VAR in Stockley Park, whatever it's called, he is telling you in your ear, you need to have a look at this. You've made, you've clearly and obviously made a mistake, right? So before we get into stuff about there's only like two or three refs that have ever actually stuck with their decision when they've gone to the monitor, your guy has told you, somebody who, as is equally as qualified to referee as you has said, you know, you've clearly and obviously made a mistake to then go over and, and, and wave that away without even having a proper look at it. If you have four or five looks at it and, and sticks with it, I'll say, well, that's arrogance and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's wrong, but at least you've actually 
done your due diligence of seeing all the replays and all the angles. To have one look at it, it's beyond negligent refereeing, I think. It's it's really, I think it needs looked at, personally. Um, and I'm not somebody for hyperbole around referees. I don't think they're cheats. I don't think there's corruption. But I think that really needs to be questioned, regardless of how obvious the penalty decision is, regardless of 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 your subjective view of the penalty decision. To have one look at it after your VAR has told you you've clearly and obviously got this wrong, it's a complete disgrace. And I don't get it where referees, as I've said in the pre-pod, who's Chris Kavanagh? We, I don't think he's refereed big games for a while. So I don't know. I'm not intelligent enough to, to go through the psychology of it. There are people who say, you know, they're arrogant or there are people who say they try to be the star of the show. Um, there are people who say they come to Anfield and they want to give a big decision to show they're brave. Um, there are people who say all these other things and all those things are entirely plausible to me as to why referees are consistently given dreadful decisions and sticking with them either at Anfield or in the Premier League otherwise. Um, but I can't understand what has what has possessed them not to properly review that. It's it's bound to be beyond, it's bound to be a breach of some sort of protocol. There's bound to be something with VAR which says you have to take a proper look at this if you're called over to the screen. Um, and I'm, I'm just, I was completely baffled with it. Um, the thing I will sort of caveat it with is I think we could have played it until Easter and we wouldn't have scored, but it's, it's such a worry that that's the standard of refereeing we have, um, in England. As I say, I can see why you gave it originally, but the arrogance and the negligence not to give it a proper look completely baffled me. Yeah, it's, it's it's in, it's 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 indicative of what we've had to become used to this season, unfortunately. And it's not just it's not just Liverpool fans. And I don't you know I, I don't I don't want to harp on as if it is because there are other teams who have suffered at the hands of VAR and uh, well VAR at the hands of referees. It's not VAR. It's 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 the whole system around. Refereeing these days, which well, it's just another evolved. shit. Re- it's just another shit referee, isn't it? You just yeah, but it's just it's shit it's referee all, to muddy the waters. All angles covered wrongly. Basically, all angles covered to protect our asses is is what it's all about. You know, there's no way that's a penalty. We've all played football at at, at low low levels. You know. And that's not that's not a penalty. It's not a penalty. He's already Trent's already lying on the ground, and as Andy already said, Cavalloon runs over the back of him, and it's a separate movement from Cavalloon because he's already had the shot, and Trent's already on the ground, and then Cavalloon decides to follow the shot up while Trent's already on the ground, runs over the back of him, falls over. It's not a penalty. Yeah, I think it's it's nearly different if if. He takes the shot and then careers into Trent immediately afterwards. Yeah, but he, but he, he actually takes a couple of strides. Movement. It's a couple of it's strides sep- before he gets to Trent and then falls it's over. Separate action. It's like it's 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 what you do when you're trying to get a pen, and the ref looks at you and says, "Get the get up." It's never a penalty, and never mind to give it in real time because I didn't think it was a penalty in real time either. But I can see how people might have twenty yards behind the play, like the ref was. But then, as as Andy says, not to even give it the fucking due diligence 
of like making it look like you're looking at least at all the angles before you make your decision. To have clearly made up your mind so vehemently that that's a hundred percent a penalty before you even get to the monitor, even though your mate said, "Here, lad, that's not a penalty. Go and have a look." There, there's just no responsibility there's- taken either. There's nothing, you know. You look at these referees and. I struggle to say this because, you know, they're fair play to them. They've they've got their way to the quote-unquote top of their profession and they're, they've done really well for themselves. But, you know, these people, we always hear about, like, protection of the referees and how they need this because they can't do it all by themselves. Like, in what other job are you earning over 100 grand a year and not being held to account for anything? There's no accountability, Andy. You're absolutely right. And that is the key in a culture of no accountability you will end up with the lowest form of service that's how it goes it was always the argument put forward for privatization of all the fucking services put forward by conservative governments time after time oh the private the, the the public services they've got no accountability they've got jobs for life they've got we'll privatize and make it better well whether it made it better or not that's the that's the reality. When you've got no accountability, you have the lowest form of service, and that's what you've got here. They will back each other up to the hilt. They will come out three weeks after an event with a four-page report about how this decision, which is clearly wrong, can be backed up and justified and why it was given. But they can't tell you at the time why they give it. Do you know that the reality is the standard refereeing is shocking, and I am not one that will stand behind and say, oh, I won't give it out to referees because they have a hard time and they, uh, I, I understand it's a hard job. That's one thing I, I agree with totally, but they've got all the help in the world now, and if they're just using the videos to back up their own bad decisions, then they can go and fuck. Do you know what I mean? The point of video refereeing is to help you not to make you look like a dick. So if you've got something wrong or if you miss something, it's there to help you. You use it. It's all and part you, of a team. You can understand that, Chief. You can understand that like to an extent because if you're, you know, nobody in any walk of life, whether you're in your first jo- in your first job or wherever you are, nobody likes being told you're wrong, right? Nobody, especially in front of people as well. These referees are being told they're wrong in front of worldwide national audiences. However, they're kind of paid to do that. They're not paid to, to double down, as the Americans say. They're paid exactly. to. They're paid to. You know, okay, yeah, it is a bit embarrassing that you've made a cock up in front of loads of people, but also people understand if you go and change your decision. People understand you might not have the best view of it, have the best angle or perspective. So, for you to actually go over with the the clear, clear preempting in your mind that. I'm going to stick with my decision here or coming at it even from the perspective and the, the angle that, you know, well, I've seen what I've seen and it'll have to be bloody, it'll have to be an absolute howler for me to change this. You know, nobody likes having to do this, but that's why they're paid so much money. But I know they're not paid sort of footballers wages, but they're paid a hell of a lot of money, well above the national average to have that accountability to occasionally look a bit silly on television and to do the best job as possible. hundred percent. And now, actually, they've got the best opportunity to do that because, as you rightly say, they're only looking. And for me, it it, it needs a change of mentality because the the whole point is 
it's a video assistant referee, so it's another referee, so it's another part of their team. So rather than being like, well, it's me out here and I'm looking at because zero, it should be, well, you're helping me, mate. You help me out here. Was that right or not? You're part of my team. You know, the footballers play as a team. We work as a team. That's how it should be. But no, it's some kind of bullshit. And on on the on the other side as well, you know, you've got you've got a situation where players are. I know I've lost my thread there, but the the, the point is, I know. Go again. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. But there is some, there's something I'm trying to fucking uh, there was some accountability there's something I'm trying to I'm trying I'm trying to get at and I've lost it. <laughs> I think it's that's just it's just the worst thing about it. It is the it is the levels of arrogance and you know the psychology of what makes you want to become a referee in the first place is probably because you've been not very good at football. Um, you know it's nobody's first choice. Nobody you know, Jimmy Carragher coined the famous line. Nobody wants to grow up and be a Gary Neville. Nobody's sitting in high school thinking, oh, flip, can't wait, to the, can't wait to the day I reach the top of the refereeing profession. You know, nobody's training to be a referee at 17, put it that way. So whatever the, whether there's a chip on the shoulder, whether, you know, they've, they've been bullied at school and they want to take that out and have a bit of authority on a pitch, there's so many different factors. And it might just be a case of it's a, a combination of everything. But whatever it is, they need to put the egos aside. They're paid this much money to put the egos aside. And as I say, it's difficult to put the ego aside, especially in work. We all like to think we're the best at what we do. We all like to think we can do it better than anyone else. And goodness me, nobody likes, as I say, being told by their boss, you've got that wrong in front of anyone, let alone hundreds of thousands of people. But uh, but have you, if you remember what you're going to say, I assume I've that. Remembered. <laughs> I've remembered. Yeah, go I'm ahead. Gonna I'm going to crash on. No, no, I 100% agree with you, Andy. But what I was saying about about the referees having a, a good situation now, if they actually were an honest breed, there are no fans there. So there's they're not looking like fools in front of 60,000 people. They're not getting booed and pelted or coined or anything like that. They're there in an empty stadium. So if they've happened to miss something, in that situation where nobody's at their best, where it's fairly plain to see, none of the footballers are at their best, none of the managers are at their best, nobody is. Is it? Is it? Is it unfair? To, is, is it? Would it be unbelievable for them to come out and just but oh, I missed that. You know, can we? Can we all just work along with this rather than it being this this whole ego trip, this whole thing? We are perfect, and that's it's the same with the offsides. I mean, I know, Andy, you're you're more if it's offside is offside, and, and that's fair enough. I totally agree. But my argument is always with the very marginal one. They don't actually know because they don't have the frame rate. And to learn, yeah. well, I think see see on that point. Actually, I heard this recently um, in Holland, the Dutch league, the yes. Dutch league. I was yeah, just just going on to say that to learn that the Dutch league operates a margin of error. Specifically for for that factor. Do you know what the problem with that have... though is? The problem the, the the problem with that though is you don't actually get any more goals given because what happens is if somebody's wrongly called something as offside, it has to then be onside by ten millimeters or whatever it is. So you end up having frame rates which pretty much show it as onside, but it'll it, it'll not be like you know I don't know if any of you watch the cricket, but if it's marginal as to whether it was going to hit the stumps or not, even if the ball tracking goes through and shows it's like clipping the stumps. 
if it was originally given out, it has to be hitting the stumps by a certain margin uh, to actually get reverse the decision. So that's a problem you have with the margin of error. It has to work both ways. If somebody's wrongly given offside, then it has to be onside by 10 millimeters, and that would just cause as much frustration. So I just think if, you, if you've got VAR and you've got – I mean, you don't have the technology to do this, but um, if you've got the VAR, you have to do offside because it is more or less a, a factual call. I know without you know the argument about the frame rates, but I'd just rather they didn't do it at all, as I say. Yeah, I 100% agree. I was, I was for VAR beforehand, but I would be – Having seen its implementation and usage, I would gladly go back to a pre-VAR era. I think um, the issue here, though, Chief, is... But that's VAR, not going to happen. So. VAR is only as good as the people that use it. It's it as is, simple it, as it, that. Well, well, it is. It is. But at the same time... We shouldn't is, really go down this rabbit hole but at the same time I just want to throw this in at the same time when you really think about it even if it is perfect even if it's perfect it still takes out some of the romance out of it. still you would never have had exactly. that on the god you know you, 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 there are still you can't celebrate goals if it's perfect you, you can't, still can't celebrate, celebrate goals, goals and say, it still takes the some of the essence of football away I think yeah, I do agree I do agree and I would rather go back I'd rather go back as well, you know. Um, to pre-pandemic times. Yeah. I'd rather go back to being able to fucking go out and fucking do shit and whatever as well. But sure. And celebrate mad. goals. Go out and celebrate goals at a bar. That would be great. You know, <laughs> it was mad though. The, you know, the type of things that our parents and grandparents have opinions on, which we just think so archaic and you've no idea how anyone ever thought that. That's probably what our kids will think of us like banging on about VAR and pre-VAR times and how it was so much better. That'll be our the good old days type argument. Totally. Before that it was the back pass rule. And then, you know, and then there, there's there's always certain watershed moments. VAR is definitely one. Uh yeah, it is. It is. Uh and it's 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 not gonna go away. And I think just just to finish up the point that you guys were making is that referees you can say they're they're paid to put their arguments aside or they're you know paid to maybe be to look a bit be prepared to look a bit silly. The bottom line is they're paid to get decisions right, and they've been given all the tools necessary to do so. And when you have They'll situations, yeah, it's it's and, and getting them wrong is one thing, but when it looks like they're consciously subverting protocol to limit how good they are at their job, that is it's not acceptable. It lacks professionalism, and that is putting it in, in its most basic possible form. I so, don't know exa- exactly how it works, Dave, right? But if I, you know, if it were a case of the players in the league coming together to demand a better standard of refereeing, this would be the time to do it. Yeah, it's that 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 situation with Kavanaugh going to the Monitor, it's a bit like you doing a spreadsheet of numbers or whatever it is, and someone looking at it and going, I think there's an error there. And you go on, you better redo those. So you go, okay, get on. And you pick up the spreadsheet and you look at it and you go, that's right. 
and throw it down again. You just glance at it and throw it down again, and that's right. If someone tells you you might have made a mistake, I just do not understand, and Andy, I'm totally with you on this, what you were saying earlier on, do not understand why these people um, do not take full advantage of the assistance and the technology that they have been given. It's a bit like your granddad who never wanted to get a mobile phone because he'd rather. Well, it's use a the bit like the weavers who were against the the loom. You know, it's going all the way back. At the end of the day, these are still the only professional referees in Europe. These are still the only ones that are earning good money out of just refereeing football. And yes, Mike Dean got death threats. That's not a nice thing. But that's life. John Barnes got death threats. John Barnes got a bullet in the fucking post with his name on it. The players get the same. They get paid well to get that. You get paid well to get that. That's life. If you want a quiet job, you know, go and you know, go and work in the co-op. At the end of the day, you're paid well for the job you do. You get a kick out of being high profile. You get a kick out of being on TV, and you get the bonus of being able to be a pundit or whatever afterwards as well, and earn a nice, pretty penny. So you won't get death threats if you do your job honestly. You don't have to fucking please everybody. But if you're seen to do your job honestly, people will respect you because referees have garnered respect before. And not just Kalina, you know, even English referees garnered respect. Can I can I just say dead quick? I worked in the co-op for a year and I wish it was a quiet job, Chief. <laughs> <laughs> it was just something I just threw out there. Like, but well, you didn't right. get death threats at the co-op, so... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was close at times. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so... Um, lads, I, I, don't, I don't really know. It's, it's just... It's, um, we're just going to have to do what we've been doing and just live in hope. And it is ultimately the hope that kills you. But we've got so, Sheffield United next, lad. Sheffield United, know. We'll, you know we'll probably gives, beat them. We will you know probably beat you, them. You know what that gives you? Worst team in the league. That gives you hope. Yeah. Absolutely, um, Brewster is going to score that game. He's going to score his first goal. We're gonna, we're not going to win. Brewster Hattrick. <laughs> <laughs> right on that note. <laughs> on that no, note. we beat them. We beat them. We beat them. Up the Brewster's millions, Reds. <laughs>